0: What if everything we see as a pathology is actually a possibility? What else is possible with mental health? Hi everyone, Dr. Adriana Popescu here with another episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. I'm so excited to have to with me today two of my favorite people that I love to collaborate with because I really just feel such a resonance with how they are seeing the world in the field of psychology and addiction treatment. And I'm so excited to have them with us today. It's T.J. Woodward and Jeremy Miller. And let me tell you a little bit about them. Um, T.J. Woodward is a revolutionary recovery expert, best-selling author, inspirational speaker, and addiction treatment specialist who's helped countless people through his simple yet powerful teachings. He's the creator of the Conscious Recovery Method which is a groundbreaking and effective approach to viewing and treating addiction. Jeremy Miller has been working in the addiction treatment field for 12 years in a variety of capacities, including counselor, group facilitator, marketing expert, and business development. He is currently the chief marketing officer of Conscious Recovery. Welcome guys, so happy to have you here today.
1: Thank you so much, so grateful to be here.
0: Yeah, let's start with you, TJ. Tell us a little bit about how you found yourself doing this work.
1: Well, it really is a great question because I never saw saw myself doing this work specifically. I have been in recovery for 35 years myself and have certainly had a very interesting road with mental health and I started working in the addiction treatment field 12 years ago almost by accident and what I mean by that is I had a particular path, my degree is in spiritual leadership and spiritual counseling, I did not know I was going to take that knowledge and that experience and bring it into the addiction treatment space, but I could not be more grateful that I'm part of along with you and so many other amazing people starting to shift the paradigm of addiction treatment and mental health care. So I'm really, really happy to be here. And I love your podcast and I love the title of it.
0: Thank you, thank you. And Jeremy, tell us a little bit about you and how you came to do this work.
1: Sure, so like TJ, I uh,
2: I started my recovery journey, uh, not 35 years ago, but 12 years ago. And um, uh, very quickly realized uh, when I was in treatment that that is where, I wanted to be. I wanted to be of support to people. And uh, up until that point in my life, I really had no idea what I was going to do or why I was here. And when I was in the energy field of uh, the counselors and therapists, I knew right away that this is what I wanted to do. And, um, And so i just went for it and here we are 12 years later and i'm also super grateful and love the podcast and always love being in conversation with the two of you
0: ah thanks guys um so here's one question i want to ask so you both had experiences with what we would call the traditional mental health and specifically substance abuse treatment field what did you discover in that particular paradigm like what were some of the limitations that you saw in how the sort of standard operating procedure is when we're working with people with mental health and addiction issues?
1: Well, I can start by saying when I started working in the field, I quickly realized that there was such a strong focus on two different things. One was symptoms and behaviors, right? Definitely the Western medical model, what's wrong with you, what are your symptoms and how do we help you get rid of them? And I saw that there, there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but I saw that it was limited because there's so much more going on than the symptoms. The second piece that I think is even more interesting and I feel more passionate about is, I think there's such a strong focus on brokenness Uh, clinicians, therapists, counselors are trained to diagnose and treat, you know, and I, my history is looking at the power of the observer and the quantum field and the infinite possibilities and recognizing that the observer has a profound effect. So if I'm looking for what's broken, I'm going to find what's broken. And I started becoming curious about how I could be part of shifting the paradigm to start to create a way for us to assist our clients in recognizing their own wholeness. So for me, it's those two really simple um, roads and they're both very connected symptoms and behaviors. Can we actually get down to the roots of this? And also what gets created when we're looking for what's broken. So I know the three of us are all passionate about that conversation. So that's really to me where we have been looking back and I'm really grateful to look forward and what the possibilities are of how we can start to shift this paradigm.
0: Wonderful. And Jeremy, how about for you, what did you discover in this sort of traditional treatment paradigm?
2: Sure. So um, for me, I, of course, I, I resonate so much with what TJ said, and I think if I were to add something, it would be that um, I noticed after years of counseling and, um, you know, clinical supervision that a lot of what we were dealing with was very cerebral. And it, even in my own recovery, It was so focused on my thoughts and behaviors, and even though I was sober, even though I was leading a a healthy life, a good life by all uh, measures externally, um, I'd noticed that where my recovery fell short was what about what I feel, and what I feel I can't explain with thought, and I know that there's, there's something inside of me that is really yearning for more and also feeling really limited and and i couldn't put words to it and when i came across conscious recovery and tj's work he put words to it and it's spiritual disconnection and so one of the things i love so much about your work adriana is the energy psychology where uh this balance of uh, addressing the mind of course but also factoring in this very important piece of energy and and for me that the spiritual perspective on addiction uh, was something I didn't find until I'd been eight or nine years sober. And that's when I actually started to feel like, wow, I am recovered. I am whole. I am complete. And it took that long to really find that within myself. And so that's what I'd really like to see shift is more attention on energy and spirituality.
0: Yeah, I think what you're talking about is the more holistic approach, right? And TJ, you really emphasize this in your talks and in Conscious Recovery. Can you tell us more about the the need for a holistic approach to treatment?
1: Yeah, and so when we say holistic, there's a couple different ways we can interpret that word. One is looking at the whole self. Uh, In Conscious Recovery, I write about the four rooms. Uh, There's an Indian proverb that says, we're a house with four rooms physical intellectual emotional and spiritual and as jeremy said there's been a strong focus on the physical and the intellectual i think in traditional psychology uh, and then also in even the traditional addiction treatment models uh right what's in the body what's in the mind the brain science and i love all of that i love all of it and As Jeremy also said, the emotional and spiritual pieces weren't often brought into the conversation, right? So I'm not actually a box with four sides, right? I'm not actually four different rooms. But I think what happens is um, when we only focus on one or two of the rooms, we miss that whole person approach. The other, of course, definition of holistic to me, which is even more important, is a recognition that the answers are in with each and every one of us. So if we're looking purely, let's say at physical health, we know the body's always wanting to heal. Disease is something that goes, now this is gonna be very uh, non-medical, so I I apologize, I'm not a doctor, but the body is always wanting to heal and disease is essentially something that blocks the body from the natural process of healing, right? So um, when we're only getting rid of the symptoms, we're missing that there's actually some place within us that wants to heal. So if we look at that same lens, through that same lens at mental health and addiction, we can say that we wanna create a space where the person can access their own inner wisdom and do their own healing paradox is um in my experience they can't do it alone if someone's in a therapist office they're in treatment they might be at one of the the darkest or most difficult points in their life and they're struggling to do this alone so we as clinicians if we're doing this from a holistic perspective we're saying how do i create a space where we can allow that inner guidance system, that inner wisdom to come forward and be a part of the healing process. And we're partnering with our clients in that way, instead of the old model, which is I have the answers, I'm a therapist, I'm a doctor, I'm a sponsor, I'm your guide and I'm gonna tell you what you you need to do. That's what's the non-holistic approach. So that's what I'm really passionate about is how do we access and help someone access their own inner wisdom.
0: Wow, that's such a huge piece of this, right? Because, I mean, even as treatment providers, you know, we talked about this actually in another podcast episode I did with one of my mentors, Dr. Dane here, where he was saying, you know, like, We can really get caught up in 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 almost an arrogance, you know, as a treatment provider of thinking I have to have the answers, and how much pressure that puts on us, right? I have to have the answers, and I have to give you the correct answer that's going to help you resolve your problem. And even the idea that there's fundamentally a problem is something you're really, you guys are really turning upside down on its head. Jeremy, can you tell us more about that? Like, what if mental health isn't a problem?
2: <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. I uh yeah, this is just like my favorite conversation. Um, I think you're speaking to something really powerful. And that, you know, when I was a counselor, I often would go into my sessions or my groups with so much weight on my shoulders because I had to go in and fix either the person sitting across from me or the 12 people sitting in front of me. And I experienced burnout week after week after week. And when I recognized uh, through the the lens of conscious recovery that everybody with me, it has what they need already. They are whole and complete. There's nothing missing. There's a lot of layers that we may need to work through but there's nothing missing inherently. Uh, All of a sudden my job became really easy and a really, really powerful shift for me was when I recognized that I'm not here to fix or solve, I'm not here uh, from a place above you looking down at you, I am on your level and my only goal, my only objective is to hold a compassionate, loving space for you and support you in unlearning these things that life has taught us, these core false beliefs. And so as soon as I shifted into that space of let me just be of support to you, I'm not here to fix you or solve your problems. I'm just here to be with you and help you do it yourself. Uh, My work became easier and somehow shockingly, uh, the results were way better too. And so I think um, with both mental health and addiction, if I can uh, sit with somebody and hold energetically that there's nothing wrong with you. You're experiencing something that may be really difficult. It may be really unpleasant, but that doesn't mean you're broken it creates a really powerful effect in the room. And the client can feel that. And when they feel it, I feel it. And then all of a sudden, we're in this incredible energy where healing actually happens.
0: Yes, yes, that is the space of the healing. How can a person possibly we talk about, you know, your core limiting beliefs, although you guys put a spin on that. Um, We talk even in traditional psychotherapy about your core uh, limiting or negative beliefs. But if, I, as the therapist am still holding that like you said the energy of well there's something wrong with you there's something wrong with how you're thinking about yourself how is the person supposed to tap into the energy of um maybe i'm not so messed up as i think i am right tj can you say more about that
1: yeah and i have a really simple answer I take the focus off my client and I do my own healing work. Because if I believe I am broken, I will see you as broken, but only 100% of the time. (laughs) And Adriana, you and I have worked together on clinical teams. Of course, I won't name any of the programs, but I've sat in clinical meetings. I think you've sat in clinical meetings, Jeremy, I'm sure you have where I can see that a person that's a therapist or a counselor is projecting something onto their client, because I'm thinking, I don't experience this person that way. Right. And I am thinking of one therapist in particular and her viewpoint was um, you know, the, the client's not ready to work through this. Uh, This isn't safe enough for her yet. We need to do more work before we start diving into the deeper issues. And the whole time I'm witnessing um, her projecting that because I know in her own journey, she hadn't healed some of her own past. Now I want to be clear, I'm not trying to blame the counselor or the therapist, but it becomes profoundly simple. And as Jeremy said, it can become energizing because the number one thing I can do for my clients is to do my own healing. And as Jeremy said, and Audriana, I know that's so important in your work, our clients are so aware of energy, maybe even more than someone who's not um, working through a mental health issue or um, coming out of an addiction. There's a quality about someone at that point in their life, and I know for me, uh, that being keenly aware of energy came from my childhood. It came from my trauma. It came from me as a survival or what we call a brilliant strategy in uh, conscious recovery. Intuition became what saved me, who feels safe, what doesn't feel safe. I had to learn how to be in touch with energy. A lot of our clients are that way. So in other words, I can't, there's no fooling our clients, there's no tricking them. And so if I'm coming in with this attitude of I'm the one with the answers, they can feel that. If I come in and really just energetically create a space, they're going to feel that as well. So that's kind of a long way of saying the bottom line is how I can help someone get in touch with the part of them that is whole and perfect is me getting in touch with the part of me that's whole and perfect and the way to do that is to start to heal all the layers that i've put on top of that. So ultimately, it's about me doing my own healing.
0: Yeah. And you are alluding to what i think is like really the highlight of this conversation, which is the unharmed and unharmable concept. Jeremy, do you want to start us off with explaining what does that mean?
2: Sure, yeah. I'll um I'll uh, I'll give a, a, an example uh to kind of start um So TJ and I, in our work with Conscious Recovery, we were really focused on the story of Conscious Recovery. We'd had um, in the beginning of COVID and shelter in place, we were doing uh, support meetings uh, using Conscious Recovery and we discovered something really incredible. And that was that it wasn't people new in recovery, it was people that had been in recovery for 10, 15, 20 years um that we're still seeking a deeper connection with themselves and when we were in conversation about that we recognized that uh through all of the validation and all of the the thanks from people to us for the work of conscious recovery there was this really common through line and that was that it made them feel very empowered it made them feel that despite what the world had said despite these hand me down beliefs From society and their parents and their teachers, that they were enough. And we took that a little bit deeper and said, wow, like that's your essential nature. That's your true essential self. And that place exists within all of us. And that place is unharmed. No harm has come to that place. And it is unharmable. No harm can come to that place. And when we live from that frequency, that's what we create in the world. And so to tie that in with our conversation about holding space, for me, I used to get so nervous running a group. I used to think like, I hope everybody thinks this is a good group. I hope this is effective for everybody. And all that was, was my own core false beliefs being projected out onto this group. When I recognize that I am enough, I am absolutely perfect for this moment and these people. There is this place that cannot be harmed all of a sudden, I was not nervous at all. I was never anxious. And I began to really notice how powerful that sentiment became not only internally, but what it produced in the world. And so TJ and I, after a lot of conversation, decided this is this is really the movement we're we're trying to push into the world right now, because especially right now, 2020 and 2021, what would it create in the world If everybody acknowledged their own inherent wholeness and that became, uh, the unharmable movement.
0: Wow. And you know, this is what I want to ping back to you, TJ. I think a lot of our clients struggle with that, right? Especially, um, people who have experienced just a lot of horrific things in their lives, right? A lot of traumas and a lot, maybe even abuse and stuff where they've been told you're a piece of crap, you know, you're not, you're stupid and, and they're fun walking around with this belief that I'm not enough, I'm broken, I'm defective, how do you how do you address that with the client who can't even see past that?
1: Well, what you're speaking to I think is really important because even some of the people that I really admire and respect in our field, our broader field, use terms like perfectly imperfect or the value of imperfection, and I understand that. We're talking about the personality. What, what I, where I think they're moving with that is what if it's okay to not be perfect? Now, the perfection we're talking about in Conscious Recovery isn't perfectionism. It's not like looking good and being perfect all the time and, you know, using the filters on our on our selfies so that we look perfect. That's not at all we're t- what we're talking about. We're talking about the inherent perfection that lives within each of us. So when we work with a client, because believe me, if there's ever been any pushback about Conscious Recovery, It's from clients in early recovery that say, I am not perfect, and you are not going to convince me that I am perfect. So what I do with that is a couple of things. I ask them, do you remember a time in your life, usually very early in life, that you didn't believe you were broken, that you didn't feel damaged? Do you remember feeling connected with yourself? Most of the time they can acknowledge or remember, yeah, I remember you know, being four years old and being on the swing set. I remember my favorite aunt and being with her and just she was so wonderful and I was so happy. If they can't remember that, then I'll ask them, if you look at a small child, one year old, two years old, can you see the inherent perfection in them before life has started to convince them that they're limited or broken or damaged in some way? And most of the time they can get in touch with that. And so then the the next question is obvious. So if it's true for that young child, do you think it might be true for you? Might it be true that there's a place within you that came into this world, or you came into this world as this whole imperfect being And then you get domesticated as Don Miguel Ruiz says, we get taught that we're broken in some ways. Some of us get that as a direct message. Maybe it's an abusive parent or a a parent that hasn't worked through their own trauma. Maybe it's a school teacher for whatever reason that doesn't seem to like us. Most of us or many of us, it's more subtle than that, right? Um, I get get a lot of praise if I get an A and I get ignored if I get a B. Situations like that that create this belief in our own um, damage, our own brokenness, so simply said, some of it is just saying to them, we're not talking about looking perfect or being perfect on the outside. We're talking about getting in touch with that precious part of ourself that is has never been harmed or and that it is unharmable. And most of the time, most of the time someone can get in touch with that.
0: Yeah. Jeremy, tell us a little bit about, i want to go more into these core false beliefs that we keep talking about, right? Like TJ said, this is something that we learn, we get these messages from all around us. What impact does it have on someone to start to believe that they are broken, defective, not enough, that there's something wrong with them? What toll does that take on one?
2: Sure, so I'll, um I'll use an example from my, my personal life that actually came to mind when TJ was talking about school. Uh, I remember elementary school, I loved school. I couldn't wait to go to school. I did extracurricular projects. I was in AP classes and uh, I was in, in a way, I was really obsessed with school. I was academically inclined. and in middle school, uh, I remember very distinctly that I started to really struggle. And I came home with a D on my report card and I gave it to my dad and he looked at it, handed it back to me and didn't say anything to me for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And and I recognize now that in that moment, I felt as though I was, it, w- it had become, there was evidence in the world now that I am not smart. This D says that I'm not smart. My dad reinforced it. Neither of my parents really inquired as to what could have been going on internally that led to this. And and therefore I came to my own conclusion that, well, I'm just not smart, school is not for me. And so I went from sixth grade getting straight A's and B's to failing uh, with D's and F's, seventh, eighth, ninth, 10th, all throughout my academic career. And uh, the really frustrating part is that I always scored really high on tests. And so my parents would go into judgment, shame, and guilt, and it made it even worse. And so even throughout my recovery journey, what happened was because I had this really deep subconscious belief that I am not smart, it continued to manifest in the world. I would be around colleagues and immediately feel intimidated and anxious and nauseous because they are all far smarter than I am, and there is no, no reason that I should be here. And so our work with Core False Beliefs is, what would it create if we actually went back to that inner child, to little Jeremy, and provided him with what he needed and healed those wounds, and, uh, and, and what would that create in the present if all of a sudden I went from walking around feeling less than stupid, incompetent, incapable, to, oh my gosh, I was just a kid struggling in school, and that's Okay. And so that's really the shift we're looking for when we work with uh these core false beliefs.
0: Yeah, and it's such a avalanching kind of effect, right? Like you like you mentioned, um it starts with that one experience and then you come to the conclusion you're stupid and then it snowballs, right, into uh-huh. attracting then, of course, people, places, things, situations that are going to mirror back to you your belief because that's what we do. We seek It's called confirmation bias, right? In traditional Mm -hmm. psychobabble, you know, we're seeking the experiences that will validate for us, um, what we believe about ourselves to be true, but people aren't even conscious of this, right? So Mm -hmm. TJ, can you say more on that? Like, how, how does that contribute to spiritual disconnection too? I want to bring in that piece
1: yeah for sure so what you're speaking to is the root the root of conscious recovery or one of the roots because you both talked about the unconscious or the subconscious most of us aren't even aware that we have this narrative about ourselves and even becoming aware of the narrative doesn't necessarily change it right so i know i've worked with clients many times when they're aware that they have this inner critic but they don't really know what to do with it And they're trying to fix it, if you will, with their mind by changing the narrative or changing the story. And it's exhausting, right? Because the truth is, in my experience, that it's really about getting down to the core of it, the root of it, the origin of it, right? So we often talk about the origins of core false beliefs because if I was four when I decided I was stupid and I'm 40 now, which, I'm not, but let's just pretend I am for a moment. But if I'm 40 now, and I'm trying to change that belief only with my mind, I can make some progress, but at some point I need to get down and really feel into what it was like for that belief to be concretized energetically into this little four-year-old. I didn't even have the cognitive ability to, to understand what was going on, so I don't heal it or shift that only with the mind. So in conscious recovery, we take a lot of, there's a strong focus on getting down to that inner child and the origins of the wound. And we unlearn it, not with the mind, but energetically. We start to have compassion. We hold ourselves in a space of love and compassion. You know, I look, I remember when my nephew turned seven and I looked at him and I couldn't believe that that was the age that I put the wall around my heart that was the age I decided I was unlovable. And so at that moment, that was it. That decision was made by my little seven-year-old self. And it's like a computer program. After that, I was I was completely programmed. And then as Adriana said, I could see it everywhere in the world. Yes, I do attract it, but I'm also attracted to it, but it's unconscious, right? In other words, I'm only gonna choose a relationship that I believe I'm worthy of. I'm only gonna apply for the job I believe I'm worthy of. I'm only gonna go to the school I believe I'm worthy of. So if I'm walking around with this vibration of I'm not lovable, I walk into a room of prospective people to date, who am I gonna choose? I'm gonna unconsciously choose the one that's gonna confirm the core false belief. That's actually the great news because when I am aware of that, then I can become curious about how I can start to shift that. Not just through thinking, but like I said, getting down to the origins of that. How do we actually start to change that? The seed that was planted is the tree or the plant that keeps growing in my life over and over and over again.
0: Yeah. And in this context, Jeremy, can you tell us what we mean by the term spiritual disconnection? Because I think a lot of people, think that that has something to do with religion, um, with some God, higher power thing and something external to us. And that's not really where we're starting from with this, right?
2: That's right. Yeah. And and actually, uh, I was under that impression for the majority of my recovery. Um, I started in traditional models and 12 steps and, uh, I always had a bit of contention with, religion and spirituality because frankly i didn't understand it and um, so when we're speaking to spiritual disconnection what we're talking about is uh, a, an, a very internal disconnection this is between uh me i'm using air quotes me and who i truly deeply am and that's our essential nature our true self and so for me what it looked like was really Uh, acknowledging that who I am is good enough, who I am, isn't my name or my job or where I went to school. And as soon as I started to recognize like, wow, I I don't know who I am or why I'm here. That's when I actually started growing because I wasn't uh, so much an ego anymore. I was actually tapped into something much deeper. And so. For me in recovery, the disconnection was what I was longing to heal. And that's where addressing things so mentally and physically were falling short. When I kind of pulled back and recognized like, wow, what is it like to just be with me? What is it like to love me? What is it like to love as me? I started asking these questions and recognized that there is this entire being uh, that I had been ignoring for 30 years And fostering that relationship really manifested through a lot of internal work, a lot of inner child work and, uh, kind of peeling back the layers and narratives and hand-me-down beliefs. And what I got to was the very basic principle that TJ speaks to, which is this whole and perfect being. And so that's what comes to mind for me with, with spiritual disconnection.
0: Yeah. TJ, do you want to add to that?
1: Yeah, I love everything Jeremy just said. And you know, it's for me, it is exactly what he said. And I frame it, I, I find myself saying this a lot, but if we come into the world as whole and perfect beings, and then we uh get programmed to believe we're broken in some way, we separate from our true nature, from that natural state of being. So if it's true that our natural state is joy. We could say our, our, our true nature is that frequency of joy and a young, very, very young child. If they have an emotional experience, they allow themselves to feel because believe me, when they're two, they let us know exactly how they're feeling. And then we train them to that. That's not okay somehow. Right. So then we lose touch with the natural state is joy. And when we have an experience that moves us out of that. We can feel it, express it and move back to that natural state of joy. But over time, sometimes it can be a dramatic event. For many of us, it's more of a gradual disconnecting from that natural state. And then we forget and we believe that we are our trauma. We are our stories. We are our past, our beliefs, our thoughts. And we have lost touch with our essential beingness or our true nature. So for me, that spiritual disconnection, as you said, Audriana, it's not about connecting with something out there that can be an important part of someone's path, but we're really talking about reconnecting with our true nature.
0: Right. And from there, connection with the outside world sort of naturally evolves, right? Because we, we all know, like when we are working with folks who are severely depressed or severely in the throes of an addiction... They are so cut off. They're usually alone in their room with the curtains drawn, you know, just in a really, really dark place. So yes, they're fundamentally disconnected from themselves and the world around them. But tell us about Jeremy, like maybe your own experience or clients you've worked with, what happens for people? How do they organically start to reconnect with the rest of the world once they start to reconnect internally with that unharmed, unharmable self?
2: Sure, I'll I'll give a great example from my own life actually. And that is, I remember when I was a kid, I was obsessed with movies and I would recreate my favorite movies in the backyard or in my room. And I would go to great lengths to recreate these scenes from movies. And my parents were amazed, excuse me. They were amazed at the lengths I would go to uh, to get movie accurate scenes in my bedroom. And I had this incredible intention. It didn't matter how good it was or how close it was to being realistic. I just went for it. And along the line somewhere, uh, I started to believe that that wasn't good enough, that I wasn't capable. And I stopped completely. And the way that showed up was everywhere in my life. I remember early in my business development days, I would go to a conference by myself and I would see groups of people and i'm a a very social being and yet i felt myself closed off i didn't want to approach the table i didn't want to go sit down it reminded me of the lunchroom in sixth grade where nobody wanted to sit with me and i didn't know where to go and and so i was walking around just perpetuating the same uh situations that have been going on my entire life after a lot of really meaningful spiritual work and reconnection with myself That shifted so quickly, it almost uh, shocked me at how easy it became for me to approach everybody because I wasn't going in with this, uh, this vibration or frequency of, oh my gosh, what if they don't like me? Oh my gosh, what if I say something stupid? It was more like, I can't wait to go be with all these beautiful people and learn so much because I am such a beautiful person and I have so much to offer. And so just that shift alone completely changed my professional life and that same impact applied, of course, to my personal relationships as well. And so I think that the result of the healing was that these things that would ordinarily tap these really deep wounds, uh, instead of ignoring that and saying, oh, well, I just suck or I'm just antisocial, it was like, wow, I wonder what's there and how can I work with it?
0: Yeah. And that's really the beautiful thing, isn't it? Right? So I hear that. And I know TJ, you have something to say about this. I hear that. And I start thinking, wow, what if like more people would reconnect with that essential self? And what would the world be like if more people function from that? What would happen on like a global scale in the crazy times we're living in if more people were connected to that essential self?
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because as both of you were talking, I'm going back to the paradigm of mental health, right? We, We end up in traditional psychology, at least a part of it is offering our clients, our patients tools. Right. Maybe it's a communication skill or maybe it's these tools, but so many of them are external. And if we can create a space for someone to get in touch with the frequency of their own divinity or their own perfection, then that changes everything. Right. And then we don't have to focus on the tools. Right. So if you think of someone, let's say, that has anxiety of public speaking. You know, And they end up going to these public speaking courses that teach them how to stand or what to say or the opening joke, but none of that gets down to the core of it or to the root of it, right? So if someone's presenting and we're diagnosing them with a personality disorder, um, rather than saying what's at the root of this, we are missing the opportunity. So every time I get in touch with my true nature, And every time I hold a space for a client to, there is a ripple effect. And that's why our tagline for unharmable is a ripple becomes a wave. Because as Adriana, as you're saying, there's something much bigger here. And it's not just what's happening in my therapy office or my group room, it's really happening globally and the more and more of us are getting in touch with our unharmable self, there is this ripple effect in consciousness. I actually see it happening throughout the world in a huge way, and the opposite of that, we can also see, and that is if I believe I'm broken, then I'm going to look for other people that are broken. I'm going to point my finger. I'm going to post it on social media. I'm going to call people out. I'm going to cancel them. All of that comes from my own sense of brokenness. And as I like to say, but only 100% of the time. So (laughs) rather than trying to change the world, I can start to change the perspective I have about me. And we're not talking about the personality me. I'm not saying look in the mirror and say, look how beautiful I am, not physically, but to be aware of that place of essential wholeness tap into that, create that foundation, and then relationships start to shift on their own. I don't have to work at my relationships. I simply reconnect with that. I spend time dedicating myself to what I call the twofold path, if you will, although that sounds a little Buddhist. They have a fourfold. fourfold. Um, It's really about, one, connecting with my true nature, and two, looking at every belief, every idea, every story that has caused me to put something on top of that when i do that everything starts to shift in the outer world automatically it feels like magic
2: mm-hmm.
0: so i can imagine that a lot of people and i and i know this too from teaching conscious recovery courses that a lot of people say that all sounds great but how do i do that you know when it comes down to the nitty gritty you know like what do i need to do to get there jeremy mm-hmm. so so what what have you guys created that will assist people with that
2: Sure. Yeah. So, um, there is a book called conscious recovery, which is a great place to start. Uh, there is a fantastic workbook uh, that the two of you worked so hard to put together. And, um, and those are really great places for people to start. I, I personally, every time I read conscious recovery, I get something new out of it. And I think it's really important, uh, while we're speaking to the action or the do, um, that, like TJ said, the emphasis is really on be, uh, not so much on do. And um, for me, recovery and spirituality and this fostering a relationship with myself has not been a linear path. And so I think that's really important to note as people work uh, go through this work, that it may not be uh, better every single day, better every single day, measurable by stats and numbers and data, right? And it is a very nonlinear path. And that's important to keep in mind, I think. Uh, So we have the book, we have the workbook, and uh, we have some fantastic online courses. Uh, We recently launched the Unharmable course, which we're really excited about. And that course focuses completely on uh, healing from our core false beliefs, unlearning these deep untruths about ourselves. Uh, And it's, it's a very easy course to navigate there's three modules there's a bonus conversation conversation with the three of us and uh we priced it really um moderate moderately we wanted as many people to be able to access it so it's 50 bucks uh, and then of course on conscious recovery we have trainings for clinicians online courses for clinicians who want to learn how to integrate conscious recovery into their clinical work and we have conscious recovery for individuals where someone in recovery or someone um, maybe uh, wanting to address some mental health issues, anything like that, people can go to uh, the conscious recovery course and it is very robust. There's tons of practical exercises and journaling assignments. uh, And so that's right now what we're offering um, for people that wanna pursue this
1: deeper work.
0: Yeah. And thank you. And and TJ, there's, you know, some people might say, but I'm not somebody who's has an addiction. I'm not somebody who's in recovery. How can I benefit from these materials?
1: Well, it's it's interesting because my first book, Conscious Being, um, when my second book, Conscious Recovery, it came out, people who loved my first book said, oh, darn it, this one doesn't apply to me. And it really just isn't the case, right? Because if we're looking at addiction as Um, an outer focused life, trying to heal something that feels broken within by an external activity, I think we can all say there's some level of addiction, right? So whether that's shopping or gambling or um, the way we are in relationships, there's some form of something that might be considered addictive. Conscious recovery is really not about addiction, honestly. The beginning of it is the roots of it, but it's really about a way of living to help us reconnect with our true nature. I am writing a third book. It'll be coming out in the fall, and that's going to be Conscious Creation. We'll talk about that more, but that really is um, intended for all of us on how we move beyond the core false beliefs that can dominate our lives and into consciously creating the life we want.
0: Yeah, such powerful stuff. Um, you know, as we wind it down, I'd love to just hear maybe some last words from you guys about um, just your vision, I guess, with all of this. You're both so passionate about this work. Um, where would you like to see it go? I mean, you're calling it a movement, right? Where would you like to see this unharmable movement go? TJ, right. can start. Or yeah. either of you can start.
1: Yeah, in a tangible way, I'd like to see it everywhere, right? I'd love to see, um, you know, kids in school wearing the I am hashtag unharmable bracelets to really understand that they're not what you know, kids on the playground. I don't know if they even have playgrounds anymore, but what kids in school are telling them, you know, I I think that it can be everywhere. We want to see this as a massive movement. Oprah, if you're listening, I want to come on your show and talk about it because I want this to be everywhere, not from a place of like, oh, we we are so important that we're bringing this, but I really genuinely am passionate about shifting the paradigm. And it's not just in mental health, it's not just in addiction, it's everywhere. It's rampant in our culture where we believe there's something fundamentally wrong with us and we have to strive and achieve in order to be worthy. I would love to see everyone in the world have a moment where we can get in touch with our wholeness. Adriana, as you said, imagine a world where people knew that just feel into the frequency of that. That's what I wanna see. And I I actually say that it is happening. It's happening in a huge way.
0: Mm-hmm. Jeremy?
2: Yeah, I think um, for me, I wanted uh, to look at the tagline, which is a ripple becomes a wave. And um, the way I I came to that when we were doing the branding and and things like that is that the word unharmable may have a connotation um, that's slightly different than what we intend. And what we didn't want was for it to be uh, unharmable in an external sense where, you know, the world can't get me. And that's true. Uh, But we didn't want, you know, people walking around um, from a place of ego with the message of unharmable. And that's why I picked uh, Ocean Waves, moving behind the title, because this is something my vision for it is that what started as this very small conversation between two people in Northern California can become this massive wave that spreads throughout every ocean on the planet every continent every country and TJ spoke to something really powerful and I I, and we haven't talked about this before but we share a vision in schools uh and and if the students wore those bracelets and what if the teachers wore them too? What if the teachers held space for their students from a place of unharmed and unharmable? What would that create? What would it create if people on Wall Street who are trading stocks and doing God knows what, what if they also tapped into their internal unharmability, right? And so what I see is is this very empowered message for people who already feel empowered and the people who don't. And that to me is such a a fuel for this movement is when we speak to people and, and, and share the message and say, you are whole and perfect, you are unharmed and unharmable. And they go, I am. And we say, yes, the light that I see in their eyes, the energy, they start to radiate uh, it makes all the difference. And so I think our vision is to see this everywhere. I want it to grow far out of our control. And that's why we're calling people in because it's not, it doesn't belong to TJ and I, it, it belongs to all of us. And we really want to grow this thing as a global community.
0: Wonderful. So how can people find you guys and find out more about all this?
2: Sure. So I think the easiest uh, way would be to go to unharmable.com. Uh, we have tons of information on the website and video resources. Uh, we have some merch for sale and stuff like that. And uh, for people that want to get involved in the movement, we have uh kind of a uh i don't want to say a to-do list but we have ways that people can uh get involved with the movement get involved in our work and um i think that's the best place there's of course people can visit consciousrecovery.com for all those courses and resources that we spoke to earlier um tj anything to add to that
1: no unharmable.com is the way to go and i think it's really cool you might have just invented something new Rather than having to-do lists, let's have to-be lists. Let's start Mm. creating. The three of us can start that. What is my to-be list today? I love it. Ooh, (laughs) I love that.
0: That, What is the energy I want to be today? Ooh. Hmm. Thank you guys so much for being my guests today. This is such a wonderful conversation. I hope it has inspired uh, our listeners and viewers and really, you know, to invite them to a different possibility, one where we no longer have to suffer from these conditions of uh, mental health diagnoses and addiction and all that. All of that is coming from a way we're seeing ourselves. And if we could change that and reconnect with our essential selves, what profound shifts could occur, not only in our own lives, but in the course of the reality on this planet. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you all who have tuned in. Uh, if you like this episode, please do share like comment, all that good stuff so that we can get the message out and get more people knowing that there are alternative ways to look at mental health. Thanks so much. See you next time. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. This has been Dr. Adriana Popescu. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe and share with others. To find out more about me, my guests, and more, please visit my website at adrianapopescu.org. See you next time.